Gift Biz Unwrapped, episode 220. That is pretty much the choice word that everyone uses is, I'm so addicted to this stuff. Attention, gifters, bakers, crafters, and makers. Pursuing your dream can be fun. Whether you have an established business or are looking to start one now, you are in the right place. This is Gift Biz Unwrapped, helping you turn your skill into a flourishing business. Join us for an episode packed full of invaluable guidance, resources, and the support you need to grow your gift biz. Here is your host, gift biz gal, Sue Monheit. Hi there, it's Sue, and thank you once again for joining me on the show. And if you're a first-time listener, welcome. I'm thrilled that you're here. Before we get into the show, I have a question for you. How'd your day go yesterday? Maybe a crazy question, I know. And yes, you heard me right. If you were to rate yesterday, how much did you get done? How far did you advance toward your goal? Or maybe in your mind you're saying, what goal? Many of you have told me you aren't sure whether what you're doing is the right thing for your business. You're confused that you may be focusing on the wrong things and wasting time and money. And you compare yourself to others and feel like you're just not keeping up. Sound familiar? Maybe you find that you're busy all day long, but when you finish up, you haven't accomplished much of anything at all. I've been there too, until I started working with what I now call the power of purpose. I made a free video for you that explains how to boost your productivity and get results using the power of your purpose. Isn't it time to make all the effort that you put into your business and your life do for you what you've intended? Now, full disclosure, this video does lead into showing you my brand new Inspired Daily Planner. But listen, you don't need the Inspired Planner to get all the advantages out of the power of purpose that I show you in this video. So if you're interested in discovering a new way to work through your days so your time is intentional and your results are real, I encourage you to go over and watch this video. And you can find it at giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash planner. That's giftbizunwrapped.com forward slash planner. I am so excited to bring my guest to you today because she is a perfect model of something that I think a lot of us struggle with. As a maker, there are so many things that you can make, but how do you decide then which of all of your talents and skills and products is the thing that you should actually present to the world to sell, to build a company around? Now, best practice is not to show every single thing you have because then you don't really stand for anything. You're very vanilla, if you will, to any audience. So you pick one product, you really dive into it, you get known for it, and then once you're established and you have a strong company, then you take your reputation of who you are as an artist and you can add to your product line or in this case, create an entirely different product line and bring your existing audience along for the ride because they already know you, they already love you, and they're going to follow you. You're going to understand this a lot better when I get into introducing the guest and you hearing her story. So without any further ado, let's roll the interview. (music) 
today I have a little bit of an extra surprise. I have a repeat guest on, but she's here in a whole new vein. Those of you who have been listening to the show for a while are familiar with Sonia Paz. She is an artist we had back in November, episode 188. You can hear all about her amazing art business, but she's merged into a different industry. I think I should say in addition, and I wanted to get her on again because I want you guys to hear all about where the future can go and the different avenues that can happen with your business. So Sonia is a fine artist now turned foodie with Sonia's Sweet and Spicy. She's known for her vivid, popular pop art paintings and retail products. But in the last couple of years, she's been working on a flavorful new adventure that has caught everyone, including herself, by surprise. After moving out of the hustle and bustle of the San Jose area, she now lives in the Central Valley of California, where agriculture is abundant and the flavors are wild. Sonia started canning and preserving foods and has now created a recipe that transforms a super spicy jalapeno into something calmer, something sweet and spicy. She'd taken these candied sweet jalapenos to potlucks and family gatherings and watched it be devoured within seconds. And seeing that response, she worked with a food scientist and now sells Sonia's Sweet and Spicy direct to individuals, specialty shops, and grocery stores. And as Sonia now says, life is always better when you have a little sweet and spice in your life. Welcome back to the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast, Sonia. Oh my God, that's so great. Thank you so much, Sue, for having me back again. I am thrilled to be here. I am so excited. And we were talking in the beginning and I said, well, you know, we're not going to go through your candle color again and all that. And you're like, well, wait, wait, I already have one. So then I'm thinking, all right, well, maybe things have changed. Maybe your perspective has changed. And clearly, as we go through life, our thoughts and what we're doing changes. So let's do it. Let's once again hear how you would describe yourself through a motivational candle. So color in quote, what would that look like? Well, the color definitely would be, even though jalapenos are green, I think the whole variety of my new logo and brand and everything sort of is an orange-yellow color. And it's just, it glows from the inside out. And it's all colors of, well, green, yellow, and orange, right? Colors of fresh produce and all that. Yeah, but I think the candle needs to be very vivid and yellow with orange just to really give it a nice sunny pop. Perfect. There you go. And do you have a new quote or mantra or something that you want to share with us on that candle? When things get hot and spicy, just go with it. Ooh, (laughs) yay! (laughs) That could be taken in a lot of different contexts, but this is the good foodie kind of context. There you go. So it seems to me from the story that you were moving just for a lifestyle change or just to switch things up. Who knew that this was going to be something that was going to happen in your life? Yeah, like we said, it certainly was a surprise. And it's so funny because I don't know if it really should be a surprise because when I started painting again after many, many years in the mid to late 90s, I would paint for myself and I would have people saying, oh, wow, I love your art. Can I buy it? Do you do custom orders? Do you do commissions and all that? And at the time I thought, no, I'm just kind of doing it for myself and ended up being turning into a giant art business. And so here I am back again, what, 20 years later or so, and 
creating something I did for myself that I'd like to share with friends and family when we would go to potlucks or dinners or where you bring an appetizer or a progressive neighborhood gathering or what have you. And I started bringing those and people were asking me, oh my God, where'd you get these? And I said, well, I made them. You did? Where'd you learn how to do that? (laughs) They didn't expect that out of you for anything, right? (laughs) No. So I thought, hmm. I mean, the canning process is a very long and tedious process. You've got to prepare the vegetables and you have to cut them and then you have to cook them and then you have to put them in the sterilized jars and you take put the jars in a water bath and then you have to take them out and everything is a timed process and it's very lengthy. But I loved it because I thought, wow, I can take this tomatoes or I can take these peppers or make these preserves and make something that I can make now and consume later. I know we all do that. We buy things at the grocery store in jars or in cans. But when you do it yourself, you're excited when you can eat them or you can share them with other people. And I worked on this recipe. I found just a basic recipe online. I thought, well, this is kind of good because my husband likes the jalapenos that we would get at the taqueria. But those were usually pickled in vinegar. They weren't sweet at all. They were very, very, very spicy. And it almost had a oil consistency to it as well. You were just playing around then with different ways of canning, just for yourself, just for fun, just to do so that you'd have the pleasure and the joy of being able to eat foods that you had canned yourself with the freshness and the colors and all of that, being the creator that you are. (laughs) So were you experimenting with jalapenos, tomatoes, and all different types of vegetables? Or were you just focusing on jalapenos because of your husband? My friend Sue, she and I went to high school together, and she was telling me one day, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going to be pickling bread and butter pickles. I said, ooh, I want to learn. She goes, come over. So I brought over 20 pounds of these little, they're not the kind of cucumbers that you buy in the grocery store, the waxy kind for salad. These are made specifically for cooking. And here in the Central Valley, you've got people selling these at the farmer's markets and at the specialty little grocer some of the small independent markets here. But there was a lady that sells them every summer. She sells them only in 20-pound boxes, so you can't buy three or four pounds. And for the amount of effort it does take to do the canning, that's really nothing. So I bring over this big box of these cucumbers, and we're washing them, and we're cutting them, and learning how to cut them, and how thick to cut them, and just the whole list goes on, and making the brine, and cooking them, and stirring them, and waiting for it to reach a certain temperature, and there's all of these facets, and learning how to do that was long. We were there for hours doing this, but it was interesting, and I thought, I got home, and I started looking online, and thinking, gosh, what else can I make? And then joined a couple of these canning and preserving Facebook pages of people from all over the world, but mainly in the United States and the, in the Midwest, where people do a lot of preserving because of the winters, they want to prepare food for the off-season. Right, like a bear for our hibernation here. <laughs> Absolutely. I think true Californians don't really understand that process because of our climate, but out in, in the areas where the weather can be a lot colder, you can't just run out for a quick something in the middle of the day if you're having a snow day or whatever. Right. So I started doing some preserves as well because I live in the apricot capital of the world, which is Patterson, California. If you drive around, you see nothing but apricot and almond trees all over the place. Oh, that sounds amazing. Oh, it is amazing. I never thought I would, being a true San Josean, 
that I would adopt and really embrace the flavors and the views of the valley. But I started with the jalapenos. I thought, hmm, sweet jalapenos, because I don't like jalapenos. I mean, not raw ones. If they're in a salsa or something, I'm the one that's picking them all out. I don't fancy the raw jalapeno, and I don't like the ones that they have the restaurants or the taquerias. So when I found the sweeter jalapeno recipe, I altered it. And I added my own spices and added a lot more sugar than the vinegar. And there was just this whole balance of the way that I created this process. And it has to do with the cooking times as well. And it has to do with the amount of sugar along with the vinegars and my little special spice mix that really gives it this, I don't want to say addicting flavor, but that is pretty much the choice word that everyone uses is, I'm so addicted to this stuff. Oh, music to your ears, I'm sure. Yeah. So with that said, I just started making and selling little eight-ounce jars, but supply and demand did come along. So you saw that family and friends, you know, when you go to potlucks, they were just gravitating to it. They were eating it. It was gone so quickly. They were saying wonderful things about it. At that point already, were you thinking, whoa, maybe I could take this to a bigger level? Oh, yeah. My husband starts getting all calculating with me. So how many jars do you think it would take to make this many and blah, blah, blah? I said, okay, well, it takes roughly four and a half hours to make 48 eight-ounce jars. And it would take four and a half hours to make 24 16-ounce jars. (laughs) So I'm doing all the math. And I thought, let me give this a try. So I rented a commercial kitchen nearby And I just didn't like going there. It was super hot and muggy in there. And there was other people around and you had to share resources. There's not a lot of commercial kitchens in the Patterson area. So I just decided that for the effort of the supply and the demand, maybe I'll partner with somebody. So I ended up finding someone who is a co-packer that was able to work with me. And I worked with them and we signed agreements and NDAs and I sent money and everything was great. And going along, got sample number one, and it was almost there. It wasn't quite. Got sample number two, and it was perfect. So we placed a purchase order to order 50 or 60 cases, and was supposed to have received that by mid-November of 2018. And time went on and on, didn't hear anything, didn't hear anything, reached out to the guy, he said, oh, having a bit of an issue with the manufacturing equipment, I'll keep you posted. I said, do you think I can get these by Thanksgiving? Because people are asking and I don't have anything. Well, and you probably started creating some type of a promotional plan and all of that, right? Absolutely. And got the label designed and per specifications with the nutritional panel and all the necessary things that have to go on. You're making me nervous. I'm getting a stomach ache just thinking about this all again. Oh, what happened? So I ended up reaching out to the guy. Here it is, November 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 2nd week in November. I don't hear anything. And I reach out and he says, oh, I'm having issues after 30-something years. I'm having issues with my landlord. I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to keep you posted. And then I heard nothing. Just did a little research, found out the guy had closed his doors. I don't know why. He basically took my 50% deposit my recipe, and closed his doors and haven't heard since. Oh, my gosh. Did have my attorney send him a note. He never replied. I think a lot of people would think this is it. Okay, I learned a horrible lesson. Boo-hoo, let me go and wallow in my sorrow. But 
<laughs> For those who know me know that I'm pretty tenacious and I'm not going to let this thing get me down. So you basically got to dust your knees off and take a deep breath and start researching again. So I started back at square one and found another co-packer who has been amazing. They pick up the phone when I call and they've been in business for decades and they've taught me a lot. Had to alter a little tiny things of my recipe just for scientific food purposes. So I'm thinking that you altered the recipe also because now this other person who you can't find had your recipe. I mean, that's like the gold of your product. Yeah. And so I look at this as a silver lining is that he didn't tell me certain things about some of the scientific things. There has to be certain pH levels. There has to be a lot of specifics with the product when it's being preserved, when it's being canned in a jar. And I'm not saying that he was doing anything wrong. He just didn't, I don't know if it was his own secret to keep as far as my scientific processes and how we do large scale co-packing. But the new person, the new company that I have partnered with has educated me a lot in regards to all of the FDA and safety standards and what has to really be on the label and what has to be listed as this, that, and the other. So it was good. In the end, it sounds like even though this was a major road bump, in the end, it sounds like you're in a better position than had you stayed with that initial person. I'm wondering if there are any warning signs that you might have seen as you were going through there that you now realize now, but you didn't know then? Is there anything that you can think of that you could share with listeners in terms of if they're getting into a situation like this, something that you should have heeded and been cautionary of, but you didn't realize it at the time? Oh, in regards to my recipe, you know, the packaging and all that? The whole coordination with the packer in the beginning, the co-packer, and you thought everything was fine. And it sounds like from your description, you did everything you should. You had an agreement, you had the recipe covered, all of that, and still things went wrong. Is there anything you would have done differently, I guess I'd say, with that first round? Well, any time that you work with any type of vendor who is helping you with producing any type of thing, whether it's your label or if it's an actual product or if you have lotions or anything like that where you're relying on, you always should have a non-disclosure agreement. And that just keeps supposed to keep everyone honest. Now, it's kind of insulting to ask somebody, hey, do you plan on going out of business in the next six well, months? Well, yeah, seriously, <laughs> you didn't expect that. Yeah, so we did all the right things, but the long and the short of it is that stuff does happen. And I've looked at the glass half full, I've looked at it half empty, and I'm thinking he probably feels worse about this than me if what he said was true as having renting a building for 30-something years and then his landlord wanting to sell the building or whatever the case was, any type of food packaging has large equipment. And to move that, I can imagine, is a ginormous headache because I've moved my businesses several times and it's not a fun thing to do. So I don't know if he felt if he retired, he'd just cut his losses and just move on. Who knows? He never responded. Well, that's the part that's not an excuse. I mean, you're very gracious for giving him an out here, but I don't know him, so I'm not. <laughs> you yeah. know, for not communicating to you the problem and working it out and figuring something out with you and just being silent, I don't think is that great. But I would probably say something different if it wasn't on the podcast. <laughs> yeah. And it's been said, trust me. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. But look, but here is a great example, though, where it didn't then stop you because you could have said at this point, I'm done. Forget it. It's too much. Now I have money that I've invested for nothing, unfortunately. 
but you didn't take that route, right? And now you're better off for it, as we were just talking about before. So how do you find a co-packer? A lot of research. I mean, it wasn't just Googling things. It was finding the right terms to use on Google, what type of people. I mean, you find lots of people who do co-packing, but they won't touch anything less than 800 cases. <laughs> There's co-packers all over the country, and you have to interview people. You have to ask a lot of questions. There's a lot of working with people and letting know, this is my first product. Can you work with me? A lot of people are very cut. No, we don't work with anyone other than someone who wants to bulk for Costco, or they have specific co-packers that do just that or for large-scale grocery stores. So finding an independent company that will work with you and help you grow is huge. That was a big one because I probably talked to, I'm going to say between 15 and 20 before I found the new outfit that I'm working with. And I started getting a little discouraged. I thought, oh, for Pete's sakes, there's got to be somebody else. When you do work with them, you sign NDAs and you send them. There's an R&D fee and that can vary. So it depends on what kind of company it is and how what your product is. And then you send them a sample of the product. And once they receive the product, one of the scientists called me back and she said, oh, my God, this stuff is amazing. Oh, wow. I'm so excited that we're going to be able to work with you on this because she goes, I'm practically licking the jar clean. <laughs> And I thought, wow, really? And I took that as, wow. I mean, I don't think it was a line to impress me or anything. No, because she didn't have to say anything. You were already going to do business with her. Yeah. When you send that jar to them, what are they doing? They're analyzing the ingredients and... Yeah, I had to send them two jars. So one for them to try. They do pH levels on them. I send them the entire ingredient list, the entire processing, cooking process. I mean, everything is calculated. So every single thing, like there can't be any holes in the direction, right? Everything. And a large of the processing is dependent on how thick the slices are. They can't be too thick. They can't be too thin. They have to be just right. And that is because I've tried it. I used a uh, mandolin slicer mm -hmm. for one batch, and they came out this sloppy, icky, wilted kind of jalapeno slices. They didn't turn out good. And then I thought, well, I'm going to try one batch where they're super thick. Or I even tried them, so I sliced them whole but vertical. So there was a lot of different ways that I tried them. And the one that worked the best was the one where I had them sliced to a specific width, and that was the key functioning product. So there was a lot of R&D on my side, but I wanted to see, well, what if I did it this way or what if I changed that that way? And we're talking hundreds of hours over the stove trying different things. Smaller batches, maybe not 20 pounds at a time, but five pounds here just to kind of work out to see how those different types of preparation methods worked. So then you finally get the product that you love. It's the perfect way in terms of the slicing and the different ingredients that are in there and all of that. Then you find a co-packer, you send it to them, they do all of their analysis, and that analysis also then goes for what's going to be on the label. Yes. In their cooking processes, they have to basically adopt from what I have done on a very small scale to a larger scale. So they multiply the recipe and they have special ways of cooking so it's pretty impressive. It's really impressive on what they do and how they do it. And then there's the fun stuff. The fun stuff, which we'll get into right after a word from our sponsor. 
This podcast is made possible thanks to the support of the Ribbon Print Company. Create custom ribbons right in your store or craft studio in seconds. Visit theribbonprintcompany.com for more information. Then there's the fun stuff. Let's pick the jar out. and you know It's all the fluff. Well, that's the thing you love, I'm sure. <laughs> that part probably came so easy to you. I can only imagine. Yeah. And what kind of jar? Do I want to spend the money on a fancy jar? Do we just go basic? And I decided just to kind of go basic. It's in a mason style jar. I decided to go with a lug lid versus a two piece for a few different reasons. One, the two piece lid, when you're taking out and serving and putting the lid back on, it's in two pieces and it gets to be a bit of a pain. That was great when I was doing it on the small scale. But for the big scale, I think it also gives the impression that, oh, this is a real product. And I went around and around about it thinking, well, I want people to know it's homemade or you know, made with love and all that. But it's just an easier thing when you have one piece lid than a two piece <laughs> lid. <laughs> sure. Just a side question really quick. Did the one or the two piece lid affect the shelf life? No, it has about an 18 to 24 month shelf life. The process is pretty much the same. I think that a lot of people look at the one piece lid as being more of a finished product. And it's something that you anticipate that you would get from a grocery store too, or a nice gourmet shop. Right. There's all those subtle little impressions that are left people don't even realize as you go along. Yeah. And if I ever wanted to glam it up a bit, either way, with either lid, if I wanted to glam it up and put a little fabric swatch on there and put a bow around or whatever, it would still look the same. Mm -hmm. And then it came down to cost. Well, how much is the two-piece lid and how much is the one-piece lid? And it was going to probably save me, I don't know, 50 or $60 over the whole entire... We're talking a few cents per lid, but when you're starting to get into manufacturing costs, 60, 70, 80, 200, 300, whatever, is a lot. You want to save as much as you can so you can keep the price more affordable to the buyers. Sure. Okay. And so talk a little bit about how you decided on the name and then the branding and logo creation. Oh, well, how many logos did I come up with? Because as you know, I create brands for other people as well. So I thought, okay, I have the world here by the throat. But now it's yours. It's probably very easy to do it for everybody else, but all of a sudden it's yours. It's mine. And I thought, well, I can do, I mean, I researched labels and there was funky ones out there with really funky typeface. There were really more sophisticated type ones with very European sort of look to it. And I thought, hmm, a lot of sleepless nights, believe it or not. So I just started drafting things up and I probably came up with 20 or 30, about 25 or 30 different sketches, designs. And then I thought, well, it has to have color in it because that's who I am. I wanted something that was going to just almost like a wagon wheel that was going to rotate, but I didn't want to use something that looked like it was from Texas or have something that looked so ordinary or so typical. I decided to give it a more of a sophisticated look, but it's fun as well. Mm -hmm. The duration of the process, it took... That was another reason why I'm glad I found the other co-packer because I don't think I would have really liked... I wouldn't have felt just as good with the label I had created months ahead of time then to really put the pedal to the metal and to find what I really felt inside that I wanted to do. So that was good. And so once you actually created it and you saw it after all of the other versions, you knew that was the one. I knew that was the one. And I'll tell you, as a designer, I'm not the type of person I never, ever, I've always trusted my instinct 
the designs that I've created for my own companies, I never ask people, what do you think? This one, this one, that one, or that one. I just do it because if I like it and I know what caliber of look I'm going for, I'm not one of the kind of people who go and start asking family and friends. Yeah, I'll ask Mark. Okay, here's the design I came up with. He goes, I love it. It's so you. (laughs) Yeah, well, I have to say now, maybe, I don't think so, but maybe it's because I knew it was yours already. And I love your design and what you already stand for in terms of your pop art. But I could totally relate. Like, I almost feel like if I walked through a gourmet shop and I saw it on the shelf, I would take a second glance at it and say, Sonia, pause. Like, not even knowing if you had even done it. Did you do that intentionally or is that just because that's your style? Oh, it's just my style. I wanted something simple, but something that packed a punch. Mm-hmm. And the name, it was a little risky because, I mean, I'd come up with a lot of different names. And I needed to get moving on that because in order to get the label created, I needed to have that trademark. I just thought, okay, it's going to be called Sonia Sweet and Spicy. I'm working on other products, too, and those are going to have the same sort of fusion flavor of the sweet and the spice. But I thought, that sounds kind of a little risque, and I thought, it's going to work. And once the name and the logo and the brand all were tied together, it worked. Love it. It's fun. Sounds a little out there, but... I don't think so. I think it's perfect. And you gave us a little peek behind the curtain, I think. If you remember on the last show, you teased about this... Yeah, what you were doing. And now I think you've given us another little glimmer into the future. And I could totally see you just continuing to extend this brand. And I think that's an important thing for our listeners to think about too, when they're thinking about a name is if you think there's a possibility of adding to whether it's any kind of a line, you want to make sure that whatever you name the overall product or business, I'll even say, needs to be able to encompass whatever you're thinking for the future too. Yes, absolutely. So will you then, this is just a sideline comment, I don't even know, but would you then change and have a different logo for different products or you keep that logo, you think? I'm going to keep the look and feel and just change the name up on the different products. The label shape will change because some of the other jars that I will select will be smaller. Some of the preserves won't be a 16 ounce. They'll probably be 8 ounce or even 10 or maybe 9. Who knows? So there's going to be some feature sets with that. And then, of course, you have the look of the produce or you have the contents of the jar that you can see at the top and the bottom and around the back. So that'll help in adding a little bit more color to the look and feel of the product. If I have preserves that are made with apricots, then that will be an orange. So it'll sort of take on its own look. And those are a lot of things that people don't even think about. But I do because that's my job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what you've been doing since forever, which leads me into another question. How does this then being so different in terms of a consumable product integrate with all of your art and everything else? I mean, you already had a million things going on. I know. How does life look with both of those things happening? Or did you put the brakes on something? I put the brakes on a couple little things, but I think this has become more exciting. And the thing with this was I got a, I only for my design clients, I'm keeping what I have I'm working on right now. I haven't really taken on anyone new because I want to be able to focus the very few hours I have left in the day on Sonia Sweet and Spicy. And that enabled me to get creative with the whole thing of the new looking for the new co-packer got me thinking about getting more excited about it because I was a little beat up from the experience. 
And I decided I'm going to create a YouTube channel. I'm going to create a YouTube channel and really have a super nice e-commerce website that I do myself. And I'm going to work on doing weekly recipes using the product. And so far, so good. I mean, so if anyone's interested in adding to your uh, repertoire of subscribed videos on YouTube, check me out. (laughs) I bet it's called Sonia's Sweet and Spicy. Yes, it's called Sonia's (laughs) Sweet and Spicy Kitchen. Oh, kitchen. Okay. And just because I wanted to, it's done in my kitchen. I wanted it to be super organic, not anything over the top fancy. It's all done by me. My husband helps me a little bit. I mean, to very little because he's not a techno nerd like I am. So he'll help with just getting the light or he'll give a kind of a quick look. He'll have a look-see and make sure. And then he's told to scram because I can't have him in the other room while I'm doing the videos. It's all good. So... This is perfect that you're talking about YouTube right now, because one of my questions was going to be, how are you marketing this? And I'm going to ask this double because I think the answer could potentially be the same. Are you taking some of the people who are already part of your audience and follow you with all of the art? And are they coming over now to the sweet and spicy side? The sweet and spicy (laughs) side. Yes. So I do have a email newsletter that I sent out to my art clients. And so there was an announcement two weeks ago that said, hey, not only am I still doing art and I'm doing art for you, but I've taken on, since I've done the visual of the art and I've done the audio of the podcast, I'm doing the other senses of taste and the love for food into my repertoire of creative things that I've done. I am pleased to announce that I have this product out. So that was really amazing because I invited people to like the Facebook page and I invited people to get on the list for upcoming notifications and events and things like that. I'm not doing a lot of events, but just to keep the interest going. Well, you never know what's going to happen in the future either in terms of events. And I think that's really smart. And this is something that I didn't do. And I'm glad to hear that you did. When I started Gift Biz Unwrapped, this whole helping makers I really felt like I should keep the ribbon print company separate because they never asked to learn more about the whole maker thing. Although they do enjoy business tips, how other people have been successful, and they're making lots of things with the ribbon printer. So it would have made sense for me to merge them together, but I kept them separate. And I think that that was a mistake now. So because it it does cross populate. I mean, it doesn't mean that you just start mailing them something that they didn't want, but offering it up and sharing the additional things that you're doing is smart. So I think you did it the right way. And I just bring that up for our listeners, because I would have done it differently. If I were to go back and do it all over again, I would have done it the way you did. Yeah, because it's all still part of you. And if they love you for their art, for all of the art, they also love you as the person. So what else are you getting into? It just naturally gravitates over to another venture that you have. Right. And it keeps you current. I mean, I've had multiple galleries. Oh, my goodness. I'm thinking about the moving part of it all. But (laughs) I've had multiple galleries from my very first one. And we expanded from that location, ended up at Santana Row, which is a fancier outdoor mall here out in San Jose. And then I went to a small shop in Campbell, went to a huge place in Campbell and just always kept it interesting. 
started creating products from matted prints to cards to magnets to uh, wearable art to the watches, large-scale paintings. It's, it's always been home furnishings and the whole thing. So I like to keep surprising people. The, the true collectors and the people who love my artwork they're your best advertising and they're your best evangelist. Yeah, but this was a big surprise. Like who would expect? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, yeah, because then I started, we moved and then I started doing the podcast and people said, where do you get the time to do that? And then so because it's my way of helping other people in business to know that they're not alone. And here's a resource that you can have that will help you with your small business or your creative business to get questions answered and solutions that can assist with making your business easier. Don't feel discouraged because we've all been there, but here's a voice to show you that you can and just keep going forward and to think outside the box a little bit. Absolutely. Yeah. So then this thing here truly, again, just thought, I'm just doing this for myself. And uh, there you go. There you go. Absolutely. Even people who don't like jalapenos like these. Nothing goes to waste in this because the way I was presenting this out to taking it for dishes to share was I just get a little brick of cream cheese, chop the peppers up, drizzle the juice over it, rake the cream cheese a little bit so the juice gets right in there, chop the jalapenos sweet and spicy on top of the cream cheese, have a side bowl of crackers, and that's it. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I want some right now. (laughs) It's in transit to you right now, and I'm so sorry I didn't get it to you earlier. Darn. You're sending me some? Oh yeah. Are you really? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. Okay, so give us a little insight into how the business is developed and where it is right now. The latest update today. The latest update is we were able to order a very small run with our manufacturer, and that was 60 cases. I had pre-sold 20 before they even arrived. A lot of those cases went to people who have shops that know me. So Tony and Alba's, I'm going to give Al and Deanna a shout out there with Tony and Alba's. They were big fans because I had gifted them some for Christmas and they own a uh, pizza and pasta. And Al said, when you get those in, I want some to sell here. So I took some over. He also, he already made a pizza out of them. He's posted it on Instagram. (laughs) The airport, the San Jose Mineta International Airport. I have been selling my products there, my art products for going on 12 years. They're in the uh, Discover San Jose store. I gave them a jar. They said, this is amazing. They ordered five cases and they're reordering already. There's some specialty gift stores and gift basket people who've already purchased some. Sean, who's also been on your show with all the buzz gifts, she's going to start carrying them in her line of gift baskets. So we're working on some high-end retailers right now, which I can't tell the names, but I will definitely hopefully have more information on that soon. And the online orders have been just going out the door. You are well on your way. That is awesome. So the product from the co-packer comes to you and you're still handling the fulfillment of the orders. Is that how it works? Right now. Yeah. Well, right now, not for long. I can hear that in your voice already. There's something to be said about packing your own orders and shipping them out with a handwritten little, hey, thanks a lot yada yada but that can only work for so long yeah definitely but yeah really excited so exciting yeah well the future is definitely bright for you it's amazing like I'm afraid of what's going to happen in the next 10 years with you because you're always creating except I do know there's going to be more in the line of sweet and spicy that's for sure oh definitely and other fusion flavors Ooh. 
Wonderful. That's so exciting. I know. It is exciting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. I bet you you just have so many ideas. It's like, which one do you do first? Yeah. And I have to get my, because I'm so excited that I just have to keep grounded. But right now I'm going to let this product percolate a little bit. I want to definitely get some more traction on the YouTube channel. I already had one YouTuber, a foodie YouTuber, reach out and say, hey, I'd love to do a recipe with your peppers. Can you send me a jar? And I said, heck yeah. Yeah, I'd say. So that went out yesterday. And yeah. Awesome. Well, we are only beginning to hear about the sweet and spicy with you for sure. That I know. Anyway, I thank you so much. I heard you sharing the story about how this all started. I think you did a solo episode on your podcast about it. And it was that morning when I went came in and I'm like, she needs to come back on the show. And that's when I sent you the email and said, Sonia, let's do this again. Are you up for it? (laughs) Yeah, I was so thrilled that you heard that episode. It was how to spice up your small business. That was the I think that was the title of it or something. And I obviously listened to your show, right? I know. I love it. I listened to yours too. (laughs) So there you go. There's that. But I'm so excited. And I think this is just a great example of how, as an artist, one product can lead to another. And it you can cross-populate what you do. Because in the end, you're a maker, right? You take something that's out there, you adjust it, and you change it. And then you see if people like it. And if it does, maybe it's something that you can monetize. And because this is so different from art, I thought it was a great, great example. And I can hear the excitement in your voice about it, too just the possibilities and the future and the things you're thinking about and the fact that you had so recently, what we're talking like six months ago, a pretty big obstacle to overcome, but didn't stop you. (laughs) No, no. And for the listeners, your amazing listeners is that, and I'm going to share this on my podcast too, that I was on your show, is that when the going get tough, people tend to just fold it in and just think, well, that's just the way it is. No, absolutely not. If first of all, if things come too easy, good for <laughs> that's well, a good thing. Well, then everyone's doing it, right? If things come too easy, then why are other people not doing it? They probably are. But it's when those challenges come up, it kind of clears out the field is the way I look at it. Because a lot of people will fold up, pack up and go home and say the false thing. I'm not cut out for this. Right. Right. They think that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that too, because I did a women's conference two weeks ago, my first vendor show with the Peppers, and there were a lot of first-time vendors there, a lot. And by the end of the day, and it was a long day, they had a lot of speakers. It was really great. It was their first time doing this, and it was in Modesto, California. And I sold a lot of product. I was happy. I mean, I brought a little bit of my art stuff too, just to decorate the table a little bit. But so many people were sitting there and they had long faces. And I said, you know, is this your first show? How are you thinking? Oh, I haven't sold anything. But you need to make contacts. This is all about building. You may not sell a lot today, but you have to take into consideration that you're making amazing contacts and take those business cards and treat them like gold. And one lady says, this was a mistake. I shouldn't have done this. I'm never doing this again. I swear. And that, and I'm thinking, oh. I said, no, 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 no. Here's my card. I run a podcast. You need to listen to it yeah, on how to overcome a lot of fear. And if this is your first show, just look at this as information. Follow up with the people that were interested. But don't say you're not going to do this anymore because this may not have been the venue for you. But the next one, you may sell out. So just try to keep things as an open mind, try to be as positive. And if you're negative at your booth, or if you're not engaging with people, why would they want to stick around anyway? Right. You know, who wants to talk to 
cranky retail person. It's true. But there's another thing about trade shows too, or any types of shows that you're doing. I think it's gold. It's kind of like a focus group because if like, take your example of that woman, if the product's not selling, it's a great opportunity for her to figure out why. It might have nothing to do with the actual product. I'm assuming it was a consumable product, right? Something. It was jewelry. Okay, so jewelry. Okay, so let's just go with jewelry. So it wasn't a consumable product. But why is it not selling? Why are people passing it up? Is it the price? Is it the packaging? Is it her style? Because that's just not what people in your area are using. It doesn't mean that her skill as a jewelry maker doesn't work. It just means that what she was presenting to that market, maybe it was the pricing, who knows what it was, but it's a great place to learn and figure that out. So such great learning can happen at shows, even if she didn't sell anything, she could be learning. And you do that by asking people, talking with them and asking the tough questions. I see you're leaving. Why, you know, why were you not interested? Not everyone's going to say, but some people will. Or do you see which pieces they pick up and look at and try on? Right. To see where the interest is. There's lots of ways to get the information. Right. I mean, there was people that said, you know, I was giving out little samples and stuff, little cracker with a cream cheese on it with some of the chopped up peppers. And some people said, oh, it smells great. I can't have it because I have stomach issues. Hey, no problem. One lady bluntly said, yeah, I don't like jalapenos and I don't want to try it. Hey, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you know, didn't you say, well, neither do I. <laughs> I said, this is definitely not your average jalapeno, but we traded cards and exchanged some niceties and stuff like that. And I've been doing these type of things and have engaged with the public for so long that I just don't even let any of that type of response or negativity or whatever you want to call it affect me because, you know, hey, it's hard, though. I mean, you have to learn to have thick skin. You do. And you have to get the fact that when there are downtimes, when things like this happen, like what you had, you know, and shared, it does not reflect who you are as a person. That's the whole big thing for everyone to understand. It's just situational. You might need to adjust what you're doing. It has nothing to do with your skill, who you are, the value you have as a person, right? Because so often we'll equate our success in business with how valuable we are as a human being, which is like the craziest thing. But we do. I guess it's human nature. But just to know that that's not true many times helps. Yeah. And thick skin isn't something that you just adopt one day. You have to filter through it and just muddle through it. Well, and you have to hear that other people like you have had these problems, you know, have come across these obstacles and have overcome them. And when you see that other people who you admire have also encountered these things, then when it happens to you, you can say, okay, it's not just me. Other people have this too. I'll find a solution and carry on. Right. Absolutely. Well, Sonia, thank you so, so much for coming on again, sharing your story, being honest about how things are going. It's such an exciting venture. I'm thrilled that you're here because now all of our listeners can watch and see what's going on. Definitely, you guys watch that YouTube channel. I'm going to put your podcast in the show notes as well. Oh, thank you. So everyone will be able to follow, you know, with the whole show notes page, as we always do. So again, thank you so much. I'm going to end with asking you to share with us what you see as the future of Sonia's Sweet and Spicy. 10 years down the road, what does this look like? Oh, gosh, 10 years down the road. You can do five if you want. Oh, five. Um, Yeah, I would just say it all started with a little sweet and spicy. Now my life is nothing but sweet and spicy. (laughs) Perfect. A great way to end the show. You're the best, Sonia. Thank you so much for joining me today. Wonderful. Thank you, Sue. I really appreciate it. And I, again, love your show and I'm so honored to have been here today. 
I am not going to leave you in suspense. I did get the samples that Sonia sent to me, and oh my gosh, she used the right word, addictive. Do yourself a favor. If you ever encounter Sonia's sweet and spicy, pick some up. I served it on crackers with goat cheese, and then with it spread right on the top, super yummy. And if you just have to get your hands on some, jump over to her website and order yourself a jar. The show queued up for next week is another example of somebody who has started a business in one way. And as time has gone on, there's been a whole new opportunity presented that has grown from the original business. That's up next week on the Gift Biz Unwrapped podcast. Bye for now. After you listen to the show, if you like what you're hearing, make sure to jump over and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. That way you'll automatically get the newest episodes when they go live. And thank you to those of you who have already left a rating and review. By subscribing, rating, and reviewing, you help to increase the visibility of Gift Biz Unwrapped. It's a great way to pay it forward to help others with their entrepreneurial journey as well.